Putin is counting on a loss of cohesion amongst Western allies to help him win the war in Ukraine. Countries that have been particularly targeted to weaken their resolve include Hungary and Italy. The Italian general election that has just concluded was a snap election held after the fall of the Draghi government in July. The results of the general election meant that the centre-right coalition, led by Giorgio Meloni's brother of Italy, a radical right-wing political party with neo-fascist roots, won an absolute majority of seats in the Italian parliament. What are the implications for Italy and for Ukraine? Welcome to the Silicon Curtain podcast. Please like and subscribe if you like the content we produce. Today I'm speaking to Monique Camara, who lives in Siena and is a language instructor at the Department of Communication at the University of Siena. She runs language and political communication courses, but has also run for office in her city and has been politically active for many years. Welcome again to the channel. It's great to speak to you. Oh, Jonathan, thank you for having me again. And it's absolute pleasure okay, to speak to you again. Well, it's very timely because every day you tune into the news and events are happening so incredibly quickly. But today we're going to focus on Italy because there's been some fairly dramatic developments there. And of course, there's a worry that Italy will have a bit of a wobble when it comes to our united front against Putin. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did want to say, Jonathan, is that um, Draghi did not, the government didn't fall. Draghi was ousted. He was pushed. Did he fall? I, he was pushed out of the window. Yeah. He was defenestrated. I've always used this term because that's exactly what happened. There was absolutely no reason for that government to fall. Draghi, in fact, now in the transition period, he has taken upon himself, but this is would be a normal transition of power from one prime minister to another prime minister and the new government uh, to make sure that uh, they stay on the budget, for example, because Italy is in great need of the money that has been allotted because of the COVID pandemic and also for the recovery fund. Uh, it's a complicated budget, so it's it's very good that he's on board, obviously, to make sure that everything you know, goes smoothly. Mm. Um, so this is important. Uh, but he was. He was defenestrated by the same powers that won the election. So, you know, we have to ask why. Okay, it wasn't really necessary to, to do this. We were going to be going to elections later on in the summer, next summer. So there was no need, but I do have a bit of a suspicion as to why. Okay. Mm. And Draghi himself, I mean, he wasn't an incompetent character. He was an extremely, oh, no. uh, he's a technocrat, he's isn't got, he? Very well, adept. We got news today yeah. that he will be awarded an order of merit from uh, uh, Vladislav the Wise in Ukraine. He's been awarded in the United States. Let's just say that he's much more um, appreciated abroad than he is in Italy. But mm. that's because there's a lot of political jockeying. There are parties that would like, right? Their leaders would like that position. So obviously denigrating him uh, becomes sort of a game. Italians were shocked, I can tell you, because I'm, as you said in the introduction, I do still have my political, I'm not politically active anymore in the sense of running for office or anything like that. I was asked to in this last election, but I said, no, absolutely not. Um, but um, my political contacts tell me that they were shocked that this actually happened. 
So, uh, you know, now we're dealing with the fallout of a electoral law that the same constitution, constitutionalists look at it and said, you know, we, we can't go to election with this law because it really gives a lot more weight to the first past the post seats uh, in certain areas. And in fact, if we look, and I've, I've crunched all the numbers for the actual election itself, and that is how Meloni and her um, coalition, let's call it this, um, that's how they won, okay? They managed to garner, um, I would say in the Senate, it's, it's something like 76% of all first past the post seats, which inflated, okay, the actual, uh, the actual win itself. So instead of the, we see the number 44%, that's the number, okay, that is given to say that the Maloney coalition won by, you know, with, they have 44% of the vote. That is true, but because of the way the system has been designed, there is much more weight given to these first past the post seats, which she won hands down in parliament and in the Senate. So this is how it was constructed. Uh, the parties that there was a there were quite a few people who were saying, well, we need an electoral law to sort of balance this out, but that was not done. And that's Draghi got defenestrated before that could actually happen. So this is where we are today. We are with she's the visible head of it, but all right, I would call them hard, far, if not the F word, Jonathan, which we're not allowed to use, by the way. I did hear um, Neil Ferguson, I think it was earlier, you know, mm. berating people for using the F word there and pointing out that, you know, some of the policies that are being advocated are, you know, quite centrist, etc. But it is a coalition and Berlusconi uh, mm. no, and the partners of that coalition Sorry. are definitely <laughs> quite far right, aren't they? Oh, well, let me just tell you what their values are. Uh, God, fatherland and family, because let's remember, they use the word patria, patriots, which mimics quite a bit also, right, on the other side, on the other side of the pond. So uh, even there, we'd have to see who came for the chicken or the egg. I mean, we do have to remember where Giorgia Meloni actually came from, okay, uh, which means that she came from the Movimento Socialista, which was put together by uh, General Almirante, this was in 19, uh, the end of 1948 or something, right after, okay, the, 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 um, the constitution was approved. And she belonged, she, she was recruited by him, but she also, she asked to be part of the Azione Giovani, okay, which is the youth movement inside, okay. And, and the, if anyone knows about this, I mean, being Italian, I understand exactly what it means to be in that youth movement at 16 years old in Rome, okay, in the area of Colleopio. Colleopio is basically your hard fascist area, okay? Mm. Uh, we know these things because, I mean, even just seeing, you know, football games, I mean, they have a whole area where they're hooligans are there, so on and so forth. But uh, this is what we're talking about. It's not that, I mean, they're trying to rebrand her right now. To repackaging uh, of conservatives. Well, the conservative movement all over in Europe and in the United States 
Uh, they're trying to rebrand her as a soft conservative, a moderate conservative. And I just laugh. I mean, Italians who know her, we laugh because that's not what it is. We're talking about the kind of values, God, fatherland, family. Abortion is a tragedy. This is what she said. Uh, she's anti-gay no, uh, rights, also threatening the, we do have same-sex unions here. Uh, that began in 2016, that was passed by the parliament, and she would like to put a stop to it. Those she would like to be put under review. So a lot of social issues, no, no adoption by same-sex couples, or, uh, or if you're single, for example, you can't adopt. Um, so this kind of thing. She actually, in the youth movement, she, she did a whole campaign against the abortion pill, for example. So, and it's very strange, Jonathan, if you think about it, everybody is saying, oh, Italy's first female prime minister. Um, and she has used her female, no, uh, let's say her presence is a female, so on and so forth. But she's not really uh, advocating for uh, women's rights in the sense of having control over their bodies and the reproductive their gender and everything. So it's it's a bit of gender washing going on there. All right. Uh, so as I said, the conservative press is, is uh, conservative press, but think tanks, associations, all of their connections that they mm. have in the United States, for example, with the Heritage Foundation or with the Americans for Tax Return, uh, Reform mm. or with the IEA or other associations. Also in Europe, with the far right in Europe, all of the people that congratulated her, right? For example. Well, I was going to come uh, to we that. Know, you know, the well, you know, Macron didn't step up and say, hey, Georgia, great. They did not. You know, mm. we're talking about Le Pen. We're talking about Zemmour, you know, who is who is congratulating her. And of course, her people, okay, in Hungary, um, that, okay, if I believe they actually, I have the quote here. Uh, in these difficult times, we need more than ever friends who share a common vision and approach to the challenges of Europe. And this is Orban, okay, mm. who is uh, who is talking about that. And from Vox in Spain, all right. So uh, where they say tonight, millions of Europeans are pining uh, their hopes on Italy. Giorgio Meloni has shown the way for a proud, free Europe of sovereign nations. And in fact, this is another. Um, they're looking for, just like the conservatives, the libertarians in the United States, they want very, very, very almost non-existent government in Italy, but also in the EU. Okay, so no European extent, like integration, um, this kind of, okay, the, these kind of values and things like that. So it's, and tax cuts, tax cuts, tax mm. cuts. So, so it's sort of is, culture war, culture war mm -hmm. stuff for the masses. Yeah. Yeah. And behind it all, there's obviously an agenda for the super rich. So very similar to the sort of GOP. Yeah, of what is going on in, with, with the UK, which, you know, in these days, Jonathan, my heart is going out to you because it truly is incredible what is happening in the UK in these days. Yeah, I mean, it, it, hopefully it'll, it'll um, you know, speed up the demise of the project project that has been rolling out since 2016 yeah. and the people who have got progressively less and less and less competent who are actually running that project um to the point now where she's been in power for two weeks and uh you know no, no it's, quite, 
you yeah. know. Um, yeah. But uh, coming back to that, I mean, there's two topics here that I think that are interesting to explore, and that is the push-button culture war topics. And we mm -hmm. see commonality here, not just in the GOP, in Le Pen, mm -hmm. uh, Auburn, mm -hmm. but yeah. there's a direct line there to Putin as well. Uh, yes. And that use of culture war topics to justify much more authoritarian styles of government. Yeah, I agree fully. In fact, what I did today, um, there is there is a connection. The voters, the people that actually did vote for her, I spent probably the last three or four days right after the election. Um, I was a bit of a masochist and I went on to her feed, uh, all her tweets to see what her people were saying and the advice that they were giving her. And I can tell you, Jonathan, that they were pro-Russian. Um, we should be lifting sanctions immediately. Now, some of those are trolls, obviously, and people that are pushing certain messages. So, uh, you know, some of the accounts looked actually authentic. Okay. And, and you can tell. Uh, by looking at an account, if it's authentic or not. Um, so we saw very pro-Russian, uh, no vax, no green pass. I wrote them all down because I sat there and I said, Whoa, climate change, okay. another one. I'm sorry, climate, climate change, change well, is another one. No, that one, they're, they're not, not so too, much. no, no, that we see a lot being pushed in uh, the telegram chats that I know, mm -hmm. that I frequent. Uh, and I watch and I read that kind of thing to see what is going on there. But no, um, they're more geared towards lifting the sanctions, okay, from Russia, mm -hmm. which this is the big problem. You know what, what, Jonathan, more than anything, her whole campaign for 10 years, okay, she has actually had a pro-Russian, um, let's say, uh, uh, stance mm -hmm. and her position uh, you can see it in her support for Russia during Crimea, the annexation of Crimea, where she tweeted. In 2018, she opposed the uh, Italian troops that had been sent to Latvia, okay, for NATO, for NATO exercises. She actively tweeted this, saying that we are provoking, okay, the bear, this kind of, you know, BS that we hear. Mm -hmm. So she's always been pro-Russian. She's always been um, I mean, these are her her messages have always been that the whole culture war um, sort of against the media, the mainstream media, you know, make Italy great again, you know, all of this kind of thing. Uh, how is she going to now become this moderate conservative that falls within the European values and Atlanticist values? This is where there's a real contradiction. And this is where I don't believe her. Okay. This is, and because her voters and her base, um, this is why they voted for her. They and her like. coalition partners, of course, there yeah, is Berlusconi, who even last week uh, was making mm -hmm. um, extreme pro Putin statements. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, and if she doesn't, uh, you know, if she moves too far away from the point of view of her, coalition partners then they'll surely crash the government so yeah not only that she cannibalized their votes 
Okay. We know now they got a little over 8% each one. They lost to, in totality about 30%. No, they went from 30 odd, okay, uh, in the last election, and now they're down to 16. So about half uh, of their 50% of her votes actually came from Lega. And Lega, as we know, the league with the head of Ms. Matteo Salvini, we know that he's, he's you know, uh, Putin's little boy here in Italy. So and this is very well known, right? Um, no secret. So I, I don't see she's taken these votes. She's cannibalized their space. She was able to do this because she did not participate in any government for 10 years. She's always been in opposition. It's easier to be in opposition than to govern because you don't make mistakes. All you do is criticize. That's easy to do. Um, this she's never had. Uh, she's only been minister, I think, of youth, <laughs> which you know, brings us back to her roots. And uh, with a certain kind of mentality, by the way, another part of her program that is very much under underlooked and that there are two things. One, sport, where she says, and this brings us right back, okay, to the 1920s, so on and so forth, and changing, and this is where she and her coalition partners do agree, changing the position of the president of the republic. The president of the republic is a, is a figurehead. He's not, he's not a figurehead. He is, let's say, the checks and balance to the parliament. So he makes sure that the parliament is following the constitution to a T, respecting all of the laws and all of the um, let's say the expression and the spirit of the constitution. Um, so they would like to change this position and make it, uh, let's say, a position where Italians can elect, all right, their president, uh, mimicking, let's say, what happens in France or in the United States. Um, this is quite dangerous because he has always had this, this he, we've never had a she, so uh, he's always had this position and, uh, and in many times has come to the rescue. Okay, so this is an important point. Uh, the sport thing is kind of scary, but okay, I'll have to get back into my running shoes and go yeah. out, Jonathan, all right, if I want to be, ex you know, accepted. But yeah, this is, this is where we are. Yeah. This is where we are. It's a reminiscent of the sort of 1930s Lenny style kind of uh, obsession yeah. with uh, um, physical health. and yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, you're right in saying that she's going to have to, there's another thing too, is that in order, she has cannibalized these votes, but she does want to remain, and so do Berlusconi, and so, so does um, Salvini, because they're on the downslide. Let's remember that Berlusconi, he represents a certain constituency, a big, huge business, okay, banks, this kind of thing. And uh, Salvini still has a bit of a base with the small, medium businesses in the north, okay, Veneto uh, specifically. So they're going to have to, uh, let's say, bring the interests of these voters and these people who have funded their campaign, so on and so forth, to the government. Uh, I don't think this is going to be, there's a lot of talk, oh, they'll start fighting and that's it. No, I don't think so. I think they're going to go five years and actually even more than that. 
So I'm, um, I'm, I, I don't buy it personally. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. We can wake up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden newspapers are starting to publish all sorts of dirty little secrets and then their problems and, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't see it. I don't see it. Perhaps we wouldn't be paying quite so much attention to it if it wasn't for the war, uh, obviously, and the intervention of Russia to try and split the Allies. So the question is, how important has Italy been in directly supplying material uh, to Ukraine? Mm -hmm. Or is the importance of Italy potentially being less of a partner in this alliance, is it more indirect in that they can disrupt and slow down the efforts of the EU more broadly to help Ukraine? What What's what's the implication? What's the thing now? Um, since a lot of the supplies that have gone were in package number five, okay, that has been approved uh, and ready to go, uh, the supplies that are being given to Ukraine are secret. Okay, there are certain things that they've been able to tell us, but they have the the all of the say the supplies themselves, armaments, so on and so forth. We have had through Ozint um, certain the Linche, for example, tanks that no are visible. There are certain um, uh, machine guns, all that kind of thing. Okay, that we know. It's not a lot, Jonathan. So we're not talking about a big, huge, okay, big, huge thing. What I would say is that Draghi was important, for example, um, first off, to start the ball rolling for the EU uh, price cap, uh, cap on oil, okay, Russian oil. He brought forward in Italy all of the seizures, okay, for you know, of Russian property, those yachts that we've seen, okay, being, you know, uh, let's say, tugged away, so on and so forth, but also property seizures and important property seizures. So it hasn't been a lot, but it's been there. And I can tell you that if the government right now, if the government had been headed by Conte or by Salvini or any of these guys, that would not have even happened. We've had problems with uh, with uh, spies, okay, Russian spies, uh, agents of all sorts, GRU and um, SVR that have been able to run through Italy, okay, without any uh, any problems whatsoever. So I think Draghi's, um, his contribution has been, A, to keep the coalition together, to actually show front, um, I would like to remind everyone, if, if you remember that picture of Draghi with Macron and Schultz in Kiev, okay, that was an important moment. And I think that this kind of soft power in Europe and also you know, say, saying Italy is on the side of the alliance, Italy is present. That hasn't happened for quite a few years. Italy has always had their foot in one door and, you know, one, one door and another. Okay, um, you know, trying to be the sort of mediator between, you know, the uh, Eurasian countries and you no know, Europe. Instead, this was a very, very strong stance, and we were proud of it. We were, we were truly proud of it. Um, this, what's going to happen in the future? She has agreed that uh, that the aid will continue. So this is a plus, and this is something um, that I respect. That's great. 
I don't know if, let's say, because they're very good at creating a crisis, right? All populists need a crisis otherwise. You know, things are just sort of boring, right? So I'm afraid that perhaps, you know, in the winter, they'll start with, oh my, you know, we have an energy crisis, so on and so forth. Uh, we have to stop all of this and this will help her coalition partners. That's what I'm afraid of. In the grand scheme of things, Jonathan, it's the United States, Great Britain, okay, who are doing the heavy lifting in this war. So um, yes, and another something else is perhaps the ECR will have much more visibility in the European Union and the ECR right now is composed of very small, okay, parties. But as we've seen, uh, Meloni's partner in Sweden did very well. The ADF in Germany is already popping up its head, okay. Um, I don't know how much in the future, you know, a lot will depend on how the war is going and how, we, how Europe decides to uh, address all of the problems. I see strong mm -hmm. leadership there. Um, or at least trying to get you know, to some sort of uh, some sort of agreement between them. They could do a lot more, but let's let's just say for now, okay, let's just keep going. Okay. And that idea of crisis united. <laughs> that idea of crisis is an interesting one because, of course, populist governments, as you say, um, they use crisis to imprint fear. Uh, on their electorate they know that their chances of, of winning maintaining power are far greater during periods of crisis and fear mm -hmm. as people naturally uh you know um, they seek simple solutions to sometimes complex problems um and of course fuel and energy is the big one isn't it and the other issue we we're going to tackle which which leads into that potential crisis on the horizon is not only is there a shortage of gas and, you know, until this time last week, we were we worried last week about potentially, you know, Nord Stream 1 firing up again and people renegotiating with 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 Putin to to buy energy. It seems that those bridges have been burnt um, yeah. through uh, literally sabotage, <laughs> quite literally. So what is going on here? Because I have to admit that initially took me by surprise until you remember the formula which is that Putin never de-escalates. He always escalates. And this starts to make a little bit more sense, if you think of it that way. Also, the contract commitments that um, Gazprom had, they were liable contractually for billions, if not trillions of dollars for non-fulfillment of contract. And of course, the destruction of the pipeline gives them a sort of force majeure clause out of that um but what, what do you think is going on here strategically and economically well i think that he right now because of the losses and that we know right that for example there's going to probably between next next few days lyman will fall or will fall the the ukrainians will recapture okay their city uh, we know that it's uh, being surrounded as we speak. They're very, I think there's only one little village, okay, outside of Lyman that yeah. needs to be. They've, they've horseshoed it, haven't they? They've uh, surrounded that's it. it. That's right. That's right. So uh, that is happening. Um, the distraction of all of these uh, sham, okay, uh, referenda 
uh, we know tomorrow uh, they're going to be, you know, he's going to be announcing that, you know, they've been annexed, so on and so forth. We know that that's simply not possible by international law, by any standard whatsoever. Um, what is happening here? I think that this is part of his hybrid warfare that he needs to uh, weaken, okay, the, um, let's say the alliance, the alliance partners themselves, throw in something else so that we're busy, okay, talking about, you know, the pipeline, so on and so forth. Um, right now, there are also drones that they have found over Norway, which is very disturbing. Uh, but that's been going on for quite a long time. I can tell you that even for a year, okay, we had heard about the drones over Norway. So this is something that they do quite often. If you will recall, last summer, they even cut the cables, okay, in the North, okay, in the North Sea. Uh, and it, that was picked up. There was a great mm. article by the Barents Observer that you know, uh, brought that forward. But because we all thought, oh, no, okay, here we go. So these are all part of the hybrid okay, uh, warfare mm. tactics that we have. Escalation is the way to go because mm. that's the only way he can go. Let's remember he is an authoritarian. Being an authoritarian power means you must have a win. There is no turning back. Okay, for those yeah, it's kinds death, of death or victory, literally. Uh, well, that's basically it. If we see all of the authoritarians from Mussolini, Pinochet, all of them, they all need a military victory. The one, the time, let's say that one moment when they begin to lose, okay, on the ground, this is, you know, this is, it's the death now, mm. the actual uh, regime itself or and even more so in russia because the you know i don't want to generalize about the russian psychology of stuff but it's it's mm -hmm. fairly well known that um you know the electorate likely he did win se several elections but the electorate likes somebody who is strong they like strong yeah. leadership they like that that's sort right. of simplicity that comes with it um that's right and the minute oh, there's a lot weak. yeah we can go into the whole thing but yeah. that's a whole yeah. other podcast <laughs> but the minute he looks weak fundamentally he's he's over in a way that perhaps wouldn't oh, be the no, case he's done in a western of course government. of course of course um uh, another aspect to the well there's the fear and intimidation that he's that he looks like he's you know causing for the alliance and for nato members so on and so forth uh, it makes him look strong at home, okay, this kind of thing. Although they're, right now the whole narrative, the whole Russian pipelines are filled with it's the Americans, it's the Americans. Another thing too, Jonathan, that a lot of people are not looking at is that we've had, for example, the French elections, okay, where there was a lot of interference there, all right. Um, we've had the French elections, uh, the, the Italian elections, Okay, as well. There was also that uh, we've had Sweden. All right, Hungary, and then there's course, another. That's else, it. Yeah. Well, there's another one. There was another one as well. I think in Bulgaria, if I'm not mistaken, or whatever. Mm. One by one, there seems to be a real push with propaganda and with all sorts of okay uh, other kind of hybrid methods to weaken, to take away these powers one by one. Mm. What's coming up next? I think is Germany. And that's been the propaganda that I've seen. There are a lot of outlets now 
that in the beginning of the war, they sort of, you can see because their rhetoric switches, right? It goes, their target, you know, moves. And I can see that their, you know, Germany is the next target. Mm. That's what they're after. Uh, that's what we're seeing in the problem, in, let's say, in the pipelines themselves. And U.S., of course, as well. The Senate uh, coming up in the U.S. could be yep. very risky oh, of for course, Ukrainians. Of course, of course, of course. Right. The good thing there is that, um, I mean, there are maybe about five or six people who are vocal, okay, about this, uh, pro-Putin. I can tell you that um, the Republicans... I would say maybe 75% of them, even more, okay, except for these, you know, uh, these attention seekers, uh, Trumpists do support the war, no, all of aid, anything that they can do for Ukraine, they will. Mm. It's it's across the board there. So less attention maybe to the, uh, the oh, that's my dog, uh, less attention, okay, to these attention seekers and to Trump who is trying to make money and, uh, no, Right now, he's in a lot of trouble legally. So he's he's pushing. There was a, a video that just came out. He's he's out selling pots and pans. So that's the, <laughs> that's what we're going to see next. <laughs> that's what they say here, by the way. That's a when right. you're down and out, you're selling pots and pans. Okay, that's a new one, but I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Well, this is. I mean, my last question really relates back to the pipeline, and I think it took a lot of people by surprise. I don't think many people doubt that uh, it was um, a Russian sabotage effort. There were Russian naval vessels apparently seen in the vicinity. Also, for those sort of Vatniks and fellow travellers who are sharing the memes suggesting it was America, they conveniently don't mention that the sabotage took place on the day when the ceremony to open the Norwegian pipeline into Europe was open. So there's huge symbolic value of doing that kind of threat yeah. on such a day. Surely not a coincidence. But yeah. if he's done that, my, my last question is, well, what next? What won't he do? Yeah, it's a very good question because that is exactly what we're all asking ourselves. Uh, most people are sitting going, oh, my God, you know, nuclear. Okay, maybe up on that. We would be absolutely irresponsible if we didn't take nuclear threats, okay, seriously. He's got biological warfare that, you know, can still an accident, a nuclear accident in some mm -hmm. sort, okay, of, uh, in one of the, um, in one of the um, nuclear power plants. Uh, drones today were seen over Zaporizhia, for example. Uh, and there have also been other attacks on another, okay, uh, nuclear power plant itself. So he could go, he could escalate to this level. Of course, the United States, NATO, uh, has already mapped out probably about 30 different scenarios of what to do. Okay, so this is uh, this is something that is a bit too complicated to be, let's say, banal about it. Um, he may, for example, uh, do a nuclear explosion uh, over in the Black Sea area, just to show this is what we have. Okay. Or so, uh, Yuri Velshinsky's Fel uh, argument right. is that he'd actually launch it from Belarus as part of a confusing hybrid tactic. Yeah. So, like, yeah. who did it? Was it an accident? Was it not? So, we might see more of these 
games being played. I fully agree with Yuri because the plausible deniability is the big thing with him. Mm. Okay. I mean, he's he's never taken responsibility, right, for uh, many of the actions that we've seen either through the Wagner groups or anything like mm. that. So that is key, you know, to keep everybody so confused. And that way as well, all of the propaganda, all of the disinformation takes a life of its own. And he can create and craft the narrative, okay, after that. But you know what, Jonathan, I've had this thought, okay, which is is quite, it's been bothering me now for, for a little while. I mean, Putin is fantastic, and he was for years and years and years in hybrid warfare, disinformation, uh, splitting us up, okay, keeping us, you know, sowing chaos and, and mm. discord amongst us. Uh, but on the battleground, as we've seen, the Russian troops simply you know, uh, cannot perform. There's a lot of corruption in the, in the thing. Um, I would like to know what the next evolution is, personally, because it's not like they are, they're using worn time. These The narratives that they're using, I can go back maybe about 15 years and find them. Mm. It's nothing new, right? So uh, that's what I keep looking for. Okay, what is the next What's the next level? But anyway, I, I, I hope yeah, that, I mean, you know, you also have to look at the people who are involved in it, of course. And one of the, um, you know, James Bond supervillain masterminds of Crimea um, uh, was, of course, um, Surkov. Um, but he's no longer in place. And many of those young, creative, rather nasty, but, um, creative people who drove the evolution of that hybrid war, um, they were removed in favour of, uh, dare I say, you know, Soviet-era Slovaki, not not so bright, not so cunning, not so clever. Actually, just as an aside, uh, Sukov was in Ukraine before. Mm-hmm. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he was assisting, because Manafort was also in and around the area. Okay, as we know before, uh, we know that there were three different kinds of leaders that they were ready, okay, and that were priming, okay, to put in mm. to Ukraine. So that's what he was, you know, helping and assisting there. He was actually yeah. quite busy. But yeah, um, I see sort of, you know, let's remember too that authoritarian governments, in order for them, governments, calling them governments, but let's say leaders, um, in order for them to stay in power, they have to surround themselves with people who will be loyal, uh, people that can be counted on. They don't have to be intelligent and they don't have to have any other okay, uh, qualifications. And this is what we're seeing. Uh, and for my Italy, I'm also <laughs> quite, uh, you know, the biggest word, the, the most, uh, the word that Meloni uses the most is loyalty. Okay, uh, the people that she surrounds herself, all right? It's not meritocracy, it's family. Mm. right these are very familial the same with putin so i don't know him towards the end okay what uh, i mean it's great for us right very very cousin though isn't it it's uh <laughs> you know it's very, very mafia oriented kind of uh, well it is i mean that's exactly what it is these are clans right and this is how that how they govern mm. so it's uh yeah basically 
Well, Monique, I think on that, that's probably quite a, a good place to stop. I mean, that uh, came to a natural conclusion there. Um, calling all our opponents mafia, right? I, I think that's fair. <laughs> um, as ever, it's incredibly insightful, slightly terrifying talking to you. Um, <laughs> no, it's been really good. And um, yeah. yeah, hope to speak again. To you. Yeah, hopefully soon. Okay. With maybe some better news on Ukraine and everything, right? Okay, let's cross our fingers in the next few days. All right, I know that everybody's very, uh, there's everybody's been very quiet about things. So we'll see. Sort of letting the Russians put all their stuff in Crimea. Let's see what happens with that. Very good uh, at communication, yeah. aren't they? Very good at not revealing yeah. uh, their hand. Yes. And that's yeah. one of the questions yeah. I'm going to be asking to my next interviewer. You know, I won't say who it is, but. You know, okay. quite a bit few of those questions will be posed to him uh, yeah. about how effective uh, you know the Ukrainian military has been. Great. Brilliant speaking to you.